0: We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC or our website CreekwoodUMC.org for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Our scripture today is a continuation of the story that we started last week with the Walking on Water sermon series. So this comes from Matthew's Gospel. This is chapter 14, verses 22 through 27. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking towards them on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! They cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I do not be afraid. This is the Word of God for all of God's people let us say thanks be to God.
1: So in October of 2020 this statue was installed outside of Bay Village Episcopal Church in Bay Village Ohio while the congregation was meeting for Sunday morning worship. About 20 minutes after they got done and after the crew had left the Episcopal Church released, and people came out of the front doors and they saw this statue. And within about 10 minutes from the release of church, 911 received two different phone calls. Um, The first was a well-meaning member who called the police so that they might come remove the vagrant from the church property. The second was a well-meaning member who a little bit better said, is there any way that you can help this person and take them to a shelter of some sort or another, wanting to be well-intentioned? And so the police came out in response to both of those calls. There was a squad car uh, called. The officer got out and started inspecting a little closer and turned and looked at the people and said, did you know this was a statue? And they, of course, were embarrassed. And as they looked a little bit closer, they saw what appear to be nail holes in both feet and one of the wrists that is popping out from under the blanket. And you can bet that social media, as well as Saturday Night Live, had a field day with a bunch of Christians that couldn't recognize Jesus on a bench. This was the intention, though, of Howard, uh, of Timothy Schmaltz, who was the Canadian sculptor, that uh, started the statue um, phenomenon of homeless Jesus. The uh, first one was in Toronto, and he had read Matthew 25, what you have done for the least of these, you have done for me, and recognizing Jesus's place amongst the poor. But he was curious if the religious of Toronto would actually recognize Jesus by his own words, or were they even looking for Jesus in the first place? versus maybe what they had built for their own solid ground. So last week I showed you this this graphic, this uh, moving video, of the three states of matter. Where we were looking for this solid ground, and solid ground, the seats we sit on, are solid because the atoms, even though they are moving constantly, have a tight-knit attachment. The bonds are strong between the electrons that they share. And so the disciples, after the feeding of the 5,000, of course you're going to be on solid ground at that point. Of course, when you see this huge elaborate miracle, you're going to have solid faith and solid ground after you experience that. When you see a healing, you're going to have solid ground and solid faith. What I hope each Sunday morning is, on some level, is you walk out of here with solid faith and solid ground because you've had you're anchored, like you've anchored yourself in good news and you've had an uplifting experience of Christian community and you go out with the good news. I hope that every single Sunday morning is uh, one of those moments in which you reattach yourself and re glue yourself and rebond yourself to the solid ground of God. But once they go out upon the waves, the liquid, we see the circumstances have changed. And maybe the people of Toronto, or the people of Ohio, or all over the world where homeless Jesus has had the cops called on him. Maybe we shouldn't be too hard on 21st century people, or 20th century people, because the disciples who followed him around everywhere didn't even recognize Jesus on the waves. Now, I will give them some credit. I want to introduce you to the scenario a little bit, that this is the kind of fishing boat that the disciples would have been in. And three of them are said to be a fisher, maybe more of the 12. Um, but this is a boat that was uh, preserved from the Dead Sea. Or the, from the, yeah, from the Dead Sea. And uh, so it's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years old, but it's perfectly preserved by the salt content in the Dead Sea. Um, and that boat that they would have been in is only 27 feet long with 12 guys. It's seven feet wide. It's four feet deep. That's not a lot of cubic feet to share between 12 guys. If you think about six on each side, perhaps, that's only, you know, and you got four feet of space from head to toe if they're sitting down. That's a cramped environment that they're in. And then go a little bit farther. This is the Sea of Galilee during a windstorm in modern day. And we don't know how big the storm was in Matthew 14, but it says the waves were against them. They were being battered by the waves. And this is just a simple windstorm in the daytime. And you can see how hazy it gets from the uh, sand that's being blown around, from the waves and the fog that are being uh, blown up from the mist, from the waves. And the Sea of Galilee has this unique thing about it. It's the second, low li- the second lowest lying lake in the w- sea, in the w- lake in the world. And because of the low-lying environment with the mountains on, all around it, there's some kind of weird wind vortex that happens that causes sudden violent wind storms that send waves bigger than they should for such a small lake. Because it's really not that big of a body of water. And you can see how hazy this is. But when we read the Greek of Matthew 14, it talks about it being like the fourth part of the night. And what that is, is it means that When Jesus is walking out on water, amongst the haze of the windstorm and the crashing waves causing mist to fly up, it's also somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And so the conditions are perfect for you to think that Jesus is a ghost. The conditions are perfect for you not to be able to notice Jesus amongst the waves or amongst the storm. And so... Maybe we can give the disciples a little bit of credit because, obviously, if you don't know the circumstances, if the circumstances have changed from solid ground to being battered and whisked away and and on the waves of uncertainty, well, anytime we face uncertainty, we go into survival mode. uh, No matter how big the uncertainty is, we go into survival mode. And maybe you've heard it called fight or flight before. And it is this natural condition of our body that when we are threatened, when we are facing uncertainty, our body will amplify certain processes and senses and decrease others. And so your heart rate and your blood pressure go up um, to strengthen your muscles and make sure your muscles have enough oxygen to run away or fight at your fullest extent. On the opposite side, your bowels lose control, and reproduction is almost nearly impossible, and the parts of your brain that process complex thoughts basically turn off. And so when you're in survival mode, perhaps being battered and bruised about by the waves, you're self-actualization and esteem, the self-actualization of what is the meaning of life, what's a higher purpose that I might be called to, what's the bigger story of Jesus's kingdom in the world, some of those questions just start to go away when something changes around you, when you're not on solid ground. What happens is the part of your brain that thinks, how will I survive? How will I find the next thing to eat? How will I defeat my enemy? Where do I find solidity? That physiological safety level kicks in. And when we're simply at that level, all we see are threats. When we've gotten ourselves out of the circumstance of understanding that there is a bigger picture to life, when we have uh, separated ourselves from these circumstances that allow us to understand God's bigger picture for life, and we enter into that hierarchy level where we're simply focused on self, self survival, self preservation, all we can see are threats. And so maybe we can't blame the disciples too much for thinking there's a ghost on the water instead of the loving presence who just fed 5,000 people and has healed many more. And This is not a circumstance that, we've, that we are immune to even in a comfortable lifestyle. What I hope, again, is Sunday morning, the church, uh, the small group, the great prayer time, I hope those are anchors and means of grace in which you regularly enter into the solid ground of the bonds with God that keep us strong. But none of us are immune to changes. Even the solid on that state of matter is vibrating all the time. And so perhaps it's something small. I mean, perhaps it's the schedule of your, your school schedule changes at the last minute. Perhaps it's a change in your work schedule or work responsibilities or a change in the church schedule that just is slightly inconvenient for you, right? Maybe that's some kind of stressor that takes you back into self-preservation mode of just naturally going into the, well, what's best for me mindset. Maybe it is a cultural or political shift that you just don't agree with, and so all of a sudden everything becomes a threat around you. It could just be somebody looked at you funny, and it's a change in what you were expecting. And so you go into this level of self-preservation and reducing the threats, but when you try to reduce the threat, everything around you becomes a threat. And if everything around you becomes a threat because we're in the midst of rocking waves, well, then it's really hard to see... A Jesus who calls us to a higher level of mind, a higher level of heart that says, well, I should turn my cheek when I'm slapped. Or I should love my neighbor as myself. Or even for what you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. Now the question, I suppose, is that if we're never going to get out of the ebbs and flows of the waves and the storm and the winds that blow us around, how can we then have that solid ground, and how can we then find Jesus amongst the waves of life? And I think that most of us live into this kind of expression that Jesus is frustrated in. And I'm including myself in this as well. I think Jesus gets frustrated with the disciples and with the Pharisees and with this whole culture. And if you remember the scripture, I can't remember the exact chapter and verse, but he's like, oh my gosh, this generation that's always looking for signs and wonders— You're always looking for something big. You're looking for the perfect parking spot. You're looking for everything to work out in life, the next promotion to just be handed to you on a silver platter. And that's not all of us, we work hard. But when do we say we had a good day? You know what, it was Christmas time and I went down to North Park Mall and and wouldn't it just happen that I was pulling up to, to, I haven't been to North Park in forever, I don't even know what stores are there. I was pulling up to the fancy store, right? Neiman Marcus. And all of a sudden the Range Rover in front of me backed out so I could pull my car in. You know, it was just the best day. God was looking out for me that day. And that's a really shallow example. But it's not uncommon to the things we say that we're blessed by. It's not uncommon to the way we say, well, God was looking upon me in this moment. But what I want to give us a a a greater uh, i want to give us another way of thinking about that because if we're only looking for these ostentatious blessings if we're only finding jesus when jesus is feeding 5,000 people and that's only when god shows up then there are going to be a lot more times in life when you can't see christ and if we can't see christ and we don't have our eyes focused on christ then we're going to be sucked in by the waves and we're only going to see the threats and we're not going to live the way of Christ. That is the way of grace and the way of love, a higher calling and a bigger story than just the waves that we're caught in. So I want to give you an everyday thing to think about in terms of where God shows up. And it's in the passage in Galatians chapter 5. It says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul's telling us there is no law against this things. There's never any time we should shut these down. But what he indicates these things are, are the fruits of the Spirit. It means when the Spirit is working inside of you or somebody, then all of a sudden they start to begin acting in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Some of you all are saying this with me. I really love this. And, and the thing is... Love happens when your grandkid runs and grabs your leg. Patience happens when you are the most annoying spouse in the history of the world because you snore all night long. Peace happens every day when you choose to actually stop at the stoplight instead of run it and put people's lives at risk. All of these things happen on a daily basis, but we're not ascribing them to the work of the Spirit inside of us. We're not remembering the prevenient grace in Brooklyn's baptism when she can't answer for herself, when she has no conception of what God is from a higher theoretical concept, yet she is able to give love, and she's able to receive love and know love. And so what I want to offer you as something to perhaps see Jesus on a foggy, cloudy, dark night when waves are battering you around, is kind of what Mr. Rogers said. Mr. Rogers said, in the darkest times and the scariest times, look for the helpers. Look for the people who are offering love and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, understanding, self-control. And this is where God is operating in the world. And you know, it sounds small because there's so many big problems in the news. There's so many waves. There's so many things we can't control. And yet, all of these are things we can control. And I'll tell you what, all of these things happen a lot more than feeding 5,000 people. And I would bet, I would wager, that the more of us who start Finding God in the everyday acts of love, peace, patience, kindness, joyful understanding. The more of us who keep finding God in those little moments, the more of us who are going to start being Christ for those who are looking for moments of love and peace and patience and joy. You know, one of the ways I'll show you how this works is I read a story recently and in just a few weeks we'll be um, up uh, the 21st anniversary of one of the biggest waves in our country's history, at least in terms of my generation, and that was September 11th. Um, September 11th, you know, rocked everybody who was alive at that time, at least in the United States, and, you know, it certainly had its national ramifications and global ramifications in terms of the justice that was called for and the military excursions that happened and bigger, bigger level things, but for a contingent of America, what do we remember? What I remember the immediate response was just being flabbergasted at the number of first responders who would run into a burning building, a collapsing building, to try and rescue one person. I remember people who were, like, the guy who was working at the 7-Eleven on the corner was grabbing people off the street to rush them into the building so they weren't overcome by uh, by the debris that was falling. I remember people taking other strangers into their own homes in this time, right? They kind of bucked that survival mentality in this, in this rare occasion of of, uh, just community grace that happened. And and, and there was a gentleman um, who responded in a way too. I need to get his name right. Um, But his name was Frank Siller. And Frank Siller's brother rushed into the second tower to try and rescue people. He was a firefighter in New York, and Frank was having a hard time processing his grief at this moment, and, um, and he was angry. and He went through all the stages of grief, and eventually he came to this place where he decided to put his grief into action. So he started this charity called From Tunnels to Towers, to, to mark the, through the, through the tunnel to the tower that his brother had taken, and so many other firefighters had taken um, on that day. Um, And and the goal of Tunnels to Towers was to provide housing and financial security to the families of first responders who had lost their lives that day. And it was this really noble cause that he was a part of. And so um, donations started pouring into a, you know, kind of modest amount. And they were able to find housing for somebody who was kind of on a hard time because their husband had been the primary earner in the family. And they were able to help families and kids do some different things. But one of the things that touched on Frank's heart was... The more he got into acts of love and acts of joy and acts of peace in this manner, the more his eyes were attuned that he started walking down his street and he recognized how many homeless people there were just on the street that he lived in, I think in Brooklyn. And he walked down the street and he started thinking to himself, where did these people come from? because that guy, Jesus, had been on the bench the entire time. He just had walked by every time before. But the more his mind had been attuned to how he could put love into the world, and how he could provide faithfulness and generosity into the world, the more he kind of trained himself on those things, the more opportunities started to pop up. And he thought, well, we're not doing enough. So he took his organization, and instead of just focusing on first responders, he decided that he was going to help all the homeless in New York City, which is big task. I mean, after 9-11, there were 30,000 more homeless people due to the economic impacts and the housing impacts of that tragedy. And so it, you know, started generating more money because there's something about when somebody has a vision that's a little better than fear. When somebody has a vision that's better than scarcity, when someone has this wisdom about them of an ability to do good, I believe people want to do good. I believe people want to see hope. I believe people want to see Jesus, even in the darkest circumstances and the most waves. I believe people want to be a part of what Jesus is doing. And so as the scope of the charity widened, so the donations started flowing in, upward to about seven to ten million dollars a year. And people started calling Frank and saying, hey, would you come tell your story? Would you come tell your brother's story? And so he traveled to Austin, he traveled to Chicago, he traveled to Kansas City, he traveled to LA, he traveled to San Francisco, he traveled all these different places and he was sharing this story. And what happened is because he had widened his scope of who uh, could receive generosity and who could receive love, he had trained himself to see more and more people. And when he was in LA, he saw this camp and it was entirely of homeless veterans who were just kind of under the highway at some place, and he, and he recognized that, you know, in Austin, he had seen a similar thing. In Chicago, he had seen a similar thing, and, and his heart started breaking a little bit more. You know, we always talk about heartbreak as a bad thing. But when God's at work, sometimes our hearts break in just the right way. And Frank went back to kind of his board of advisors, board of trustees, and he said, we're not doing enough. There is this whole group of homeless veterans in LA that no one's doing anything for. We've got to meet the need. And the board of trustees is like, we're only, we're only taking in like $7 million a year. There's no way that we can expand this across the nation. And Frank said, I don't care. We've got to. And so Frank started going around sharing a story and, and started um, traveling and building up connections in these different cities to work with homeless veterans. And, and people took notice. Because when one person sees Jesus, I think it makes it easier for other people to see Jesus. And so Frank started uh, working in these networks in different cities, and all of a sudden the donations started pouring in, and 7 million, 10 million dollars a year, all of a sudden now in 2021 it's 258 million dollars a year. The people are putting their money to work to house homeless veterans around the country and still work for the impoverished in New York City and those who lost their lives in 9-11. It was this movement of somebody who who is able to see through the fog able to see through the threat able to see through the fear and find some action of love and some action of generosity that he could tangibly do and he could control amongst the waves and the shifts of life and I firmly believe that once somebody shows us the good news of Jesus then humans for some reason just want to be on board because I think we are called to hire, and I think we are better than just self preservation. I think we are better than just protecting our own self interests and our own life. I think that is left to the reptilian animals of past, I believe that we have reached a stage where God has called us into something higher. So when someone shows us a glimmer of what is possible, when someone looks through the fog and the rocking boat and says, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like, let's go do this, I believe people will jump on board. And I wonder, I wonder what we do about that. And I love seeing graduates of ZOE on the screen that we saw an opportunity to be generous. I love that there is a school supply drive with an opportunity to empower students who may not have the same resources. But where I really want to challenge us is not as a collective body of Christ that is all doing something together. What I want to challenge us is individuals who tend to really like getting our way. And having our schedules be around our preferences. I wonder where you will both see and do all the things that the Spirit is working inside of you at this moment. Let's pray. Gracious God, may your Spirit continue to be upon us. Having been born of water in the Spirit, may your Spirit continue to work through us so that through the ebbs and flows of life, through all the turbulent, liquid moments where we don't know what is coming and we get fearful and we see threats, that your spirit may remind us that we are called to something higher. We are called to see the Jesus amongst us. We are called to be Jesus for those amongst us. And so God, may your spirit take over. May it lead us beyond ourselves. May it help us to see Christ even in the dark. And may we show others. May we show others how to see Jesus as well. Amen. Let's stand.
0: Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today. And let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.